How do you take your tea? Arthur Potts Dawson talks teapots, teacups, tea leaves and tea bags with top tea experts Mark Lawson and Giles Oakley of Two Spoons. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Hi, welcome to Food FM. My name is Arthur Potts Dawson and we are starting off a new strand we're calling Put the Kettle On. It's all about tea. I've got Mark and Giles, the creators of Two Spoons, their company, and it's, it's named after the tools of their trade. Mark and Giles have got nearly 60 years of experience of tea under their wings, and we're going to be talking about all things tea for the next 24 weeks. So join in, listen in, because Put the Kettle On is going to be everything to do with tea and more. Mark and Giles, thank you so much for joining in. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Giles, can you tell me a little bit about what is tea? What is tea, the plant? Where's it from? And um, you know, why do we love it so much? Well, tea comes from one broad uh, scientific plant. It's Camellia sinensis. And whether that's green tea, black tea, white tea, Darjeeling, Pua, it all comes from the same plant. But there are some variations um, within that plant. Uh, so Camellia sinensis has a couple of sub-varieties. You have Camellia sinensis sinensis, and a lot of that is grown in China. That was the original, what people drank and what was originally exported to around the world from China. Uh, then you have a secondary variety, Camellia sinensis asamicus, which as the name suggests, actually originated in the, in the region around Assam and Burma. And it's a plant, so is it, it, it's a obviously a green plant because it photosynthesizes. It's, it's a green plant um, and, th- and those two um, plants if they if you let them grow uh, to their full height you know you'd have a the, the Chinese variety might grow up to two to three meters high mm. whereas the Assam variety might grow up to 15 meters something like that so it, it, it's a proper tree. That's like a tree. It is a proper tree yeah. um, so uh, typically the way it's managed is to um, is to be trained so that it's it's at about table height. You you talk about the tea table, um, so that when it's harvested, it's at a height that is um, easy to uh, to pluck. And yeah, it's I mean it's gro- It is a truly global crop. Um, it's grown all over the world, between the tropics, typically between the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn. The tea that's grown round the equator is grows all year round and then the further you get from the equator uh, north or south then you get seasonal variation. Mark, so tea is um, it's a plant but we're calling it tea but tea is obviously something that the English use. Is it always called tea? Is it called cha? Is it called chai? What is it it called around the world? Yeah I mean in in, um, tea was really indigenous to China so it, it was first really discovered in U, the Yunnan province, which is in southwest China. And it was also indigenous to northern India and uh, Burma, Myanmar. So that's really where tea uh, originated from. Well, tea, understanding the word. You know, oh, yes. Because so, the English call it tea, but, yeah, but is I it mean, called tea No, in China? In, in China it was called cha. Cha, okay. And... So in England, it's a cup of cha. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's where it comes from. Nice. Cup of cha. And I think, you know, people started calling it cha and then tea was, a, was another sort of variant of the name that, that we took from uh, some of the European uh, translations. 
Right, so, so we've got tea as a plant. Uh, it grows, well, the Asamacus grows up to 15 metres. Because yeah. um, usually we have this idea that it's a bush, isn't mm. it? You'd say it's a table height. Mm. So then the root system, uh, I guess, for a bush is much shallower than, than a 15 metre tree. But, but actually you're saying it's only ever really at tabletop height. So that means the root system going into the ground, uh, is it complex? Do you know if they go deep? How much water do they consume? You do have a long tap root that can be several metres long. Mm. Um, and they do consume water, but actually, um, there are different different varieties that cope with different levels of um, uh, water um, water requirements. And actually, sort of science in recent years has been to try and develop uh, cultivars that that can um, deal with uh, drought, um, seasonal conditions. Um, and actually yield as well, um, and in fact flavour and, and general characteristics of tea. So it's, a, it's not a particularly thirsty plant, so is it, has it, does it have a big impact on the environment around it? Has it got a lot of pests? Is it, and just, just understand how, how environmentally tea works with the planet. Um, Am I putting you on the spot here, Giles? I mean, <laughs> understanding tea as a plant is, is really probably paramount to us understanding how it grows, where it grows, and why we enjoy it so much. Yes, I mean it. I mean it definitely. I mean it definitely needs, uh, um, you know, significant amounts of rainfall to grow throughout the year, and, and, and a lot of warmth too. Heavy okay, rain and warmth. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, and and because of those conditions, there are you know you do have um, you do have all sorts of pests. Um, uh, and different parts of the world have different pests. So somewhere like Kenya is is blessed with not not that many pests. Hmm. Um, whereas uh, somewhere like um, India has has more pests. And more pests because it's been grown there for longer and therefore there have been bugs that have kind of said, hey, we now like tea, so we eat a lot of that. I mean, what's interesting also about tea is I've had a delicious cup today on arrival for this interview. And you really get this tannin. I've got this tannin across my tongue at the moment. And, and for me, tannins, is that a part of the um, defence mechanism of a plant? What, what do tannins do? Because grapes and olive oil, they can get tannins there, can't you? But is tea tanniny as a defence mechanism against bugs and pests? I'm not sure, but ironically, you know, the, the stronger teas come from somewhere like a Sam. So a Sam is, is a, a really... Um, strong cup and and you know would have you would have thought more tannins in compared mm. to somewhere like um, China mm. um, but I don't know the answer to that one mm. I'm just understanding because because tannin is obviously a, a serious part of tasting isn't it mm. and so it, so the leaf grows to what the size of your thumb to the size of your palm I mean how big is a tea leaf because all we we see in the UK or around the world is as either in a bag or is ground up in, and put it in your teapot but how big is the leaf when it's harvested the leaf generally is quite small and and when tea is hand plucked um, people are trying to pluck the top two leaves in a bud so it is it's quite um, it's quite a delicate operation and the reason for the top two uh, leaves in a bud is, is where all of the sort of flavour uh, is concentrated. So you, it's, it's a more juicy, um, juicy result. Hmm. And, and, and you get a better quality. But um, circling back to, to the actual plant itself, it takes, from, from planting, it takes sort of three to four years before it can become commercially viable. 
So there is quite a long uh, period of time before you can you can actually start to harvest tea. Um, it's it's not uh, you know it's quite intensive in terms of um, planting out and then being able to get a return from the crop. And some tea bushes in the world have been planted for over a hundred years. So it's, there is longevity uh, within the plant. Well, so then there will be a return on investment somewhere down the line. So three to four years to come to maturity, then you start picking. But there's obviously then a quite a big investment for a tea, and it's called a tea plantation. Yeah. Is that right? The tea plantation is they will, they will take on either new land, they'll put in some either cuttings or some shrubs, or, and it'll begin to grow. It can be. Or the other model, uh, which has really shot up, uh, particularly over the last sort of 20 to 30 years, is the smallholder model, where... The it's it's smallholder farmers who own the tea. Um, it's a it's a cash crop that grows all year round. Um, particularly, you know, you see this in Kenya a lot, um, and um, so you know it it can form part of what's going on 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 somebody's farm, mm. and they they can sell their green leaf to the tea factory, and actually in some instances they'll actually own a share in in the tea factory. And Mark, your experience, you've obviously been around the world, you've seen tea everywhere, you've tasted tea everywhere or wherever tea is grown. What's your sort of personal experience of the plant? Is it gorgeous? Is it great to touch? What does it smell like? What, 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 what's your experience of the plant? Yeah, I, I think about this a lot and, and I've been really lucky in my career to be able to travel to some of the places I have. It's, it tends to be grown in the most beautiful regions. So you've got sort of Darjeeling in the foothills of the Himalayas. Uh, you can see the, the mountain range of Kanchenjunga. You know, really quite stunning. But, but wherever tea's grown, you get this sort of great carpets of, of green. Uh, it's, it's incredibly uh, natural in the environment that it's grown in. So uh, quite a lot of wildlife. Um, in India, you, you quite often see elephants roaming through tea gardens. Yeah, and, and very often, although tea can be grown in different geographies, different terroir, you quite often see it on mountain sites. Mm. So you, you're actually travelling to some uh, pretty uh, beautiful places in the world. Mm. Charles, what's your experience of the tea plant? Have you been to some gorgeous spots and looked over mountains? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, I remember uh, doing some, helping out with some mechanical harvesting in Indonesia, which was basically holding one side of what's like a, a a large sort of hedge trimmer stroke lawnmower taking off the top two leaves and a bud of uh, of um the tea there i think probably my overriding memory of of being involved in in the manufacture of tea just for a brief moment is when i was in darjeeling um and making the very first tea of the season and it was awe-inspiring seeing how much effort and passion went into this very first crop of the season, this what they call DJ01, the first invoice. And people were up all night, you know, making sure everything, all the all the machinery was on the right settings and um, they were checking leave constantly. It was just a fantastic experience. So, so there's obviously a deep love and passion for the tea plant in different cultures and communities all over the world. I mean, China and India, you, talk, you mentioned Kenya, you mentioned Indonesia. How culturally embedded is the plant in the psyche of these people? I think in China, because it's you know 
pretty much where tea was uh, first cultivated, massively so. And I think, um, you know, the last few years I've been lucky enough to travel to China quite a lot and it's just so embedded in, in the culture and it's seasonal. So it starts growing in, well, around, around about March, April time, uh, you get the sort of spring teas. And it's almost a bit like, um, you know, akin to wine, you know, when you get that sort of first first growth, um, you know, say Beau, Beaujolais Viage, you know, you sort of, that excitement about the new crop, very similar in China. It's it's really their, um, it's really their wine industry, their champagne, you know, people are so knowledgeable about it. And historically, you know, tea started to be grown in, in China uh, for medicinal reasons. It was almost, you know... Um, a herbal it was it was part of herbal medicine almost and and it was only really as the centuries moved on that a tea as as we know it became drunk as a as a more um, uh, stable beverage with water because initially it was it was uh, it was consumed um, with tea it was out of tea cakes it was almost a, a currency uh, so tea as a plant you say i mean Ten, is it 10,000 years? I mean, when, who was the first human that brushed their hand across the top of this tea plant and then pops it in their mouth and thought, hey, this plant really made me feel good? You know, is, is that where it started? You know, well, where, where it started is, is sort of lost in myths and legends. So in China, there was an emperor called Shunong. And Shunong was famous for, for a, a few things, one of, one of which was um, sort of the founding father of herbal medicine right through to... Um, you know, inventing agriculture. Uh, and the story goes that he was sitting under a tree and some water was, was boiling. His servants were boiling some water and, and some of the leaves from this tree fell into the water and he, he uh, sipped it. And it was like an elixir. He thought, wow, this is making me more alert. I feel, I feel better for it. And, and that was in 2737 BC, so we're going back quite a long period of time. Yeah, at least 5,000 years. Yeah. yeah, and it took it took a long time before tea became known in China. It was probably in the 7th century before it became uh, known as the drink we, we uh, would recognise it as today. But I mean, there were, uh, historians have discovered tea in some form of consumption in China, 200 BC. You know, it was it was discovered in in uh, some caskets in in a queen's burial uh, ground in Xi'an, which is where the terracotta warriors are, and and that's a thousand you know over a thousand miles away from from where it would have been grown in Yunnan, so it made quite a journey even in two hundred BC to get to to uh, this this queen in in uh, Xi'an province, so. Um, yeah, even then it was quite a special indicator uh, commodity. Value, there was there was a real value yeah. to it, exactly. Yeah. And I love this idea that there's this sort of uplifting nature to the plant. You know, because obviously the plant is um, it's uplifting people every day across the across the planet now. Um, but it, you know, can you just can you eat the leaf raw off the tree or off the bush, or do you have to process it? No, you you can eat it raw, and in fact, in some cultures. Uh, tea is included in a salad in in Myanmar. Um, there's I can't remember if you can remember lapet. The name of it. Yeah, lapet. lapet. It's it's um, sort of pickled. It's uh, they pickle the pickle the leaves. Yeah, it's fermented, and uh, so you can you can eat it. And in fact, when um, when I was sort of talking about the tea cakes and how in China uh, when when tea started to be consumed, it was actually consumed in a powder form. 
which we would today know as uh, something similar to matcha. So it was actually the leaves were ground um, into, a, into a fine powder and, and consumed. Yeah, and, and basically that's how a lot of tea is still consumed in, in certain areas, like for example in Japan. Mm. So um, Zen Buddhist monks uh, would um, consume tea mm. in that form because they knew, they didn't know the science of why, but they knew it would, it would make you alert. Mm. But at the same time, it would, it would um, make you relaxed as well. It, it had this uh, property that, that we, now, we now understand a lot more uh, within tea that, uh, that, that had this sort of, for them, sort of quite a magical benefit. I, I, what I love about plants and, and herbal medicine and, and, and plants as medicine, perhaps living medicine even, is that they connect our bodies to the planet. And so anything that we begin to harvest or, or you know, cultivate in large quantities tends to negatively impact. But you're giving the, vis- the, the image that you know, these tea plantations are green, they're lush, they're, they're wild to some degree, there's elephants um, not rampaging through, but, you know, they're, they're, they're wandering through. I mean, it does give this wonderful picture of the world in harmony. And, Giles, do you think tea provides a connection between both the human condition and nature? Gosh, that's quite a deep, a deep question. I, I think um, <clears throat> probably more origin where people are growing it i think i think when you look at some of the places where tea is drunk now in large quantities you know like take the uk for example i think some of that may be lost um and i think the connection um we that's where we probably take tea for granted we don't always realize that tea has come from um a plant um you know it's very different you know we it's a processed product that um, that people drink. You know, it's gone through the, the manufacturing process. And sometimes people take for granted that it's come from something that's green, lush, mm. from, a, from a field. And I think, um, uh, I think that's, you know, discussions like this allow, allow people to be reminded um, that it is from this fantastic plant. Mm. So we've got cultures and communities of people growing it in China and India, you said Indonesia and Kenya. Um, just to give the people an, an understanding of really where this plant grows. We've talked about it being, you know, in the, the, the tropics and, and it needs to be warm, it needs to be moist. Um, where else does it grow? We've got India, we've got China, we've got Kenya, we've got Indonesia. Where else is tea? Those, those are some of the really, those are some of the, the, big, the big guys. Mm. Another one of the top ten is Argentina. So there's a lot of tea grown in Argentina, um, and typically that's tea that would go to the U.S. iced tea market. Um, there's a lot of tea grown in Japan, and interestingly, one of the other top ten that you don't really think about is Turkey. And Turkey are per capita the biggest drinkers of tea in the world, um, and they they like a strong uh, black tea, um, and um, yeah they. They drink more than more than anybody else. Then you've got some of the maybe some of the sm- smaller origins that produce some fantastic tea. Places like Rwanda, Nepal. You've got uh, Taiwan, Korea uh, produces some fantastic tea. And then on a really sort of small level, you've got places. I mean, the US is is producing tea now. Georgia, big. You know, they they they're producing tea. Um, uh, I 
made the mistake of taking my wife uh, on our honeymoon. We went to uh, a tea estate in the Seychelles, uh, which for <laughs> cool, her was... Of course, you, of course you did, Charles. Yeah, which, was, uh, <laughs> which didn't go down that well. Um, um, but no, so, so it's grown. I mean, I, th- I think commercially it's grown in about 30, 36, nearly 40 countries. Um, there's even tea grown in the UK. So, you know, there's tea down in Cornwall. There's tea grown in Scotland. Um, so so it's a place. successful plant. It's it's a healthy plant. It needs some, some moisture, some yeah. warmth. Yeah. Uh, it's edible. It, it it could grow into a huge tree, but yeah. best kept at bush height so that people can pick it. Yeah. The top two leaves are best for their juiciness and flavour. Yeah. Now the plant, uh, you know, the, once the the plant is is no longer used, let's say they're they're discarding it and moving on, is the the tea wood. Uh, uh, something that would be used the the, the branches and uh, you know because if you can grow a big a big tree of tea is that wood gorgeous is it smell does it you burn it would you make furniture from it I mean it is the plant in yeah the I mean I've I've seen I mean it's quite a common sight going around uh, tea factories and tea tea bungalows um, around the the tea growing world to see roots that have been repurposed into furniture and you see them varnished up you know glass glass tabletop. But you know, you'd, but actually, because it's because it's a it's a bush and it's a, a crop that's being constantly plucked. So, you know, you pluck it, that those shoots are coming back up again uh, every, depending on where you are in the world, seven to fourteen days. So, actually, you know that that wood you're 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 not really using other than to grow to grow tea so there will be uprooting and there will be replanting so uh, you need to regenerate if you think about sort of tea optimally being at its peak between 30 and 50 years old every you need to be replanting at a rate of about two percent to to cover everything over that time so it's uh, that's when you would get those roots out and and often that will then be used for fuel fuel um, either by uh, people Working but on the plantation, labor, on the plantation yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or to, yeah, or in the factory. So, so it, it, it's reused, it's recycled, it's used as either furniture or energy mm. source. And my main worry, as the world changes towards climate change, is that some of the areas that it grows in become drier, maybe not as wet or cooler, or, mm. or doesn't actually live up to what's required. And tea, I mean, I know that the, the coffee and chocolate are going through very difficult um, times where, you know, there are funguses that are growing or attacking the plants. Sounds like tea is actually quite strongly embedded and isn't going anywhere. Is that right? Well, it, it's, it's much debated. And um, one of the exercises that the Ethical Tea Partnership did a few years ago was some modelling on climate change. And they did project uh, what things would look like. Um, I, f- I think it was uh, in 2050, I need to, there's a round, you know, what would happen over the next sort of 20, 30 years with climate change. And, and there were, you know, one of the, there were some definite changes in where tea would be grown. And um, I think that has led to a recognition that things do need to change, not just on tea estates, um, but, but generally because climate change will probably impact where tea can grow. Um, deforestation in some of these areas is, a, is an issue. You know, um, somewhere like Malawi, there's been a, a huge amount of deforestation and that's actually had a, an impact on the microclimate in those areas. 
Um, so, you know, one of the one of the things that is people are trying to do in Malawi is protect that that um, uh, that forest. But it's ultimately it's a fuel that people are using, and um, uh, and and so it's trying to change and educate behaviour there. So the plant, I mean, I know that seeds and saplings and all kinds of plants nowadays, are, you know, the, the 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 genome is owned by large corporates, right? So the, you know these seeds, you got the Monsanto's and things like that, who who now own seeds. So you can't get a seed for let's say a particular type of tomato, and if you go through a seed owner. Mm. Is there an ownership of the plant itself? This might be a very complex question to answer, but you know who's in charge of tea plants, and, and do you just buy them on the internet, or do you do you, do you take a, a, a snap a leaf off, or snap a branch off, and then just stick it in the ground? It grows like some willow, or do you really have to start specifically from a rootstock that's provided by a big company? So I don't know about the ownership side of things, but there are a number of you know the tea trades uh, tea organizations within countries research will, have, institutes. will have research institutes um, and that will be funded by the trade and partially by the government depending on where you are in the world I mean more and more it's a, people are doing this um, that there'll be companies tea, tea companies doing it by themselves um, but they'll also be relying on um, tea research foundation tea research institute um, you would look at a bush that has survived particularly well during, say, a dry spell, take cuttings from that. Um, you might look at a tea which um, has particularly downy buds um, because that's highly prized. So you would think, how can I then, you know, combine these different um, uh, cuttings um, and, and graft different cuttings. It's pretty sophisticated it is, and yeah, it it's a big complex. investment and it yeah. does take time, um, but it is being done. So the tea plant, does it flower? Does it then produce a berry? Does it then you would plant the berry? Or you're talking about taking cuttings off the plant and then either putting it in a pot, waiting for it to grow and then planting it out. Is that how tea works? That's one side of things, but you can also, um, there are some people that will leave bushes to flower, to seed, so that you take, you know, mm. take seeds, but it's quite. I mean, it's quite interesting that we we when we worked together, um, we ran we actually ran a competition at work. We got a whole lot of tea seeds in from uh, from Kenya, and um, we ran a competition uh, to see who could grow the the biggest uh, tea bush. And I think one of the one of the ladies who who made our tea in the tea tasting room, I think she, hers she managed to propagate into a serious bush but other than that it's notoriously difficult to um to to do and, and historically you know when when the first um tea from china was actually smuggled out because the chinese were very protective of of uh, of their industry and their expertise those plants and those seeds that people tried to that were smuggled out and tried to grow in india just didn't take. They didn't take well, apart from in a few places like like Darjeeling. Um, so they are difficult to take. I mean, I you've actually got one in the you've actually yeah. got one in the garden. I mean, Mark's got one on his patio. Um, he's got a, he's got a tea bush. Um, so you know, it, it's uh, it can grow in some quite harsh environment, and it can you know it can survive some quite cold uh, um, uh, temperatures. But but growing from seed 
requires care and love and patience. Um, so on, on tea gardens, you'd see uh, big nurseries where they'd be sort of getting yeah. the, the plants ready for planting out into, uh, into the, uh, the plantations. Uh, and yeah, I mean, my, my tea bush actually has been quite, um, quite a revelation because it's, um, it's small but it's, and it's a, a Chinese variety, but it's, it is actually quite, it's quite hardy. But um, but even I've had some some issues in my garden with pests. I think yeah. I think because it's um, it's quite um, it's quite a succulent bush and plant. You know, some pests do like to uh, to to munch on it. And have you seen in your experience of Darjeeling and, and other plantations them using particular types of uh, pesticides or you know to stop bugs coming on? Will they use birds or will they use another type of animal to to, to combat that other animal? Or is it basically sprayed? It, de- it depends on the garden and the area and, and the policies in place. And some of that's driven by, in China, for example, where they, they did have, still do have in certain areas, quite a, a big problem with pesticide use. You know, the, the central government in Beijing and, and even provincial governments have tried to, to reduce that. Because although, um, you know, a lot of the tea grown in China is is drunk in China because of the population. Um, they they know that um, that the sort of um, wanton spraying of of, um, of pesticides onto the leaf is is not a good thing. And in fact, uh, you know, certain provinces are really trying to reduce the use of uh, pesticides. And that's also responding to legislation uh, in 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 country. You know, particularly like Europe, there are. Over the last, I can think of the last 10 years, the, the limits have really tightened up, which means that, you know, producers do have to really know about how to apply these things. Um, and a lot of work, a lot of dialogue happens between um, tea companies, uh, tea producers, as in tea brands, um, tea... Because at the end of the day, you know, if you can't, if you can't import that tea... You, you haven't got a tea to sell and therefore you've got, you know, there's nowhere for this tea to go. It's, you know, this is what consumers, they're drinking tea and if, if, if it's illegal, then it won't get, there's no, there will be no demand for it. So um, people are respond, people have responded well um, to, you know, pest management. And you do see there are, there are, there is a, there are definitely um, organic, tea plantations around the world for the organic market. I was going to just ask about organics because organic to some degree they say the price goes up because of more labour, less trees perhaps, maybe needs to be more connected to to nature and you can't kill the bugs and therefore you have to be more, um, you know, have more man management or or woman husbandry on these plants. But organic would make sense because if you're looking at a taproot that's running down deep into the soil, the soil needs to be healthy. I wonder how they replenish the soil and organic uh, management of soil tends to be a little bit more supportive of uh, the bioorganisms. For example, mm-hmm. if you're spraying it with pesticides, and the soil is the one that's really suffering because it's all falling into the soil. Mm. So, uh, have you had an experience with organic versus non-organic, or, or how the tree grows successfully or the bush grows successfully between the two? There's very little difference in terms of how the the, um, the bush grows on an organic versus uh, a non-organic garden from my experience. But I think, um, I think the way tea is, is drunk um, with water, a lot of the, um, you know, I'm not, this isn't um, in any way saying that 
the, the pesticide use, which is reducing, is um, isn't necessary. But but a lot of the uh, pesticides aren't water soluble. So unlike other crops, where um, you know, like apples, for example, where you're actually consuming the entire apple, you know, for me that's much more of an issue than with tea, which which um, you, you're not actually consuming it in in the same way as other other crops. But no, in terms of how how an organic versus inorganic garden looks, um, there's very little differentiation. Mm. And in fact, there are some so there are some uh, producers who are producing biodynamic teas, and they're quite passionate about how they're uh, how they're growing their tea. And and there is. I mean, you probably know more Arthur on the, the farm and husbandry, but there is um, they would maintain that although it's quite uh, you lose a lot of crop to begin with, that over a certain period of time that crop comes back and because that that yield, uh, especially in in tea, is really critical to to um, to the farmer and uh, it's biting the bullet on that loss of yield initially. To uh, that's quite quite difficult, especially in a cash crop. And and also the fact that um, you may buy organic tea, but that organic market is actually finite, and not everybody wants. In fact, it's very you know the actual organic market is very small. So if you're selling to markets where actually people don't want organic tea, you know um, you know if you look at big big tea, tea markets like say Pakistan where there's not there's not a, an organic market but you still have to sell your tea there'll be producers who whilst their tea is organic they're not selling it as certified organic and then there is an economic question to be had so unfortunately a lot of it does boil down to the economics of it as well hmm. interesting uh, there's you know you're talking about farming because the plant is obviously needs to be farmed and I know that um, you know some farmers in India and China too, but Indian farmers at the moment there's sort of a, a revolution going on in the agricultural sector in India. Have you got any experience of, of the planting and the farming and the husbandry of, of tea in India? And, and are, there, are there any troubles out there with regards to tea, or is it all peaceful and tranquil? In the tea troubles farm? in terms of well, the, the, the Indian farmers are saying, well, we don't like the reforms that the Indian government are placing on us. Um, and we're finding that uh, we, we don't want the, the modern system of Indian farming to put in place because as farmers we're going to lose control of our land. Land ownership is obviously one of the important connectors to people, to the planet. And I just wondered if there was anything, you know, in the tea plantations of India where there's um, any kind of, any ruffles, any feathers being ruffled, maybe not. I'm not, I'm not aware of any feathers being ruffled yeah. on that specific issue. Um, I mean, there is some very complex legislation over how tea and land is used, the, the, the land under tea is used in India. But, and I, but I, think, I think probably there's more of a, an economic, again, I'd say an economic is, issues over the sort of cost, you know, cost of production, cost of labour. And I think that's, a, that, that's likely to be more of an issue. Well... We're talking about tea, the plant. Um, this is Food FM. I'm Mark and Giles here, the creators of Two Spoons, which is a tea company in the United Kingdom. And we're just trying to understand what the tea plant is. You know, we've covered this in 40 minutes. We're understanding the, the plant, where it's from, how it grows, how big it is, the wood, the taproot, the health of the soil, organic versus biodynamic versus neither. And um, I think that you know, the plant is obviously hugely stimulating. It's wonderful as a, as a relaxant. It gets people talking. 
Um, cultures all over the world use tea to identify with um, a, a, re a relaxing time, but also, hey, let's have a cup of tea, let's get up and go. You know, mm -hmm. a quick tea break, but you know, they'll give me some energy to, to, to get back to work. Um, so tea as a plant is, you know, celebrated, isn't it? And there's a celebration to the plant. Um, it's quite an exciting plant, isn't it? It's the mm. fact that, you know, we don't think much of it because you put the kettle on, which is why we're calling this put the kettle on. You put the kettle on, put a tea bag in the cup and you just, you don't even think about it. You know, it's in the cupboard. It's, it's sort of a default setting, isn't it? But do we give enough respect to the tea plant itself and, and, and get people to really understand it? Because this is the first session of put the kettle on. And, and we want to tell the story of tea all the way through to the end using from tea bags to teapot to what do we do with our tea leaves. But now we're talking about the plant. Do we give it enough respect? Do we love it enough in the UK? Or I mean, I know in India and China, it's obviously something that they, they revere because it makes them money. But is it respected? I think it's beyond money in somewhere like China because it's so embedded in their culture. It's, uh, it, it's beyond money. It's, it's um, you know, wherever you go, it's, it's not dissimilar to here. You know, the first thing people would do is, is give you um, a glass of tea with tea leaves in it. And it, it, brings, it brings you together, whether it's meetings or family. It's, it's, you know, and I was talking earlier about that spring tea. When they, you know, they will actually, you know, taste that and, and revere it and say you know wow this was this was better than last year and how is it going to be this year and and you know that they'll pay handsomely for it you know it's it's not a commodity it's something that's uh, really respected and revered yeah and I, I don't think people take the experience for granted i think people you know they love having a cup of tea it means something that relationship you have those conversations you have when you're, um, you know, when you're over a cup of tea, I do think that, um, that there's a conversation to be had about where it comes from and how much effort has gone into getting it from the bush to the cup. Fabulous. Mark and Giles, thank you so much for joining us on Food FM. This is Put the Kettle On. We've got 23 more sessions of tea before we even think about doing any more, but um, this is the first one. And, and a fabulous start. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Join us next time for Put the Kettle On with Mark and Giles at Two Spoons. Thank you very Thank much. You very much. <laughs> to find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.